You're listening to Ritual, a podcast for curious humans, all about creative practices, mindset, and professional improvement. I'm your host, Daniel Lamb, CEO of Holland Creative. So today on the podcast, I'm going to be talking to a friend that I've known for a few years, and her work is nothing short of amazing. Audrey Stamps has always been enthralled by the arts and creating things with her hands. Her mother, also a potter and a jack of all trades in many things, was a double fine arts major at Agnes Scott and brought Audrey and her sisters up on art history and tons of crafting projects. Entering college, Audrey was pushed in a more practical direction to hone her artistic abilities, earning her BFA in graphic design with a minor in website development. This time, she took her first pottery class and became utterly obsessed with it because, in her words, she sucked at it. So fast forward through four years of pottery just being a hobby while going through three jobs and two layoffs later, Audrey took her studio, Oddball Pottery, full-time in April 2020. She's now her own website designer, production artist, graphic designer, and most importantly, boss. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Audrey. Hope you enjoy it. Before we like dive into all things pottery and all things being a creative business owner, where did it start for you? Like, I know that you you come from a, a lineage or a family where your mom is a potter as well. Was that something that you grew up with? It wasn't something I grew up with, but I did grow up with a lot of arts and crafts and stuff. My mom would do with us, and there was always something that she wanted to do or get our hands dirty. She was a very interactive mom, and because she double majored in art history and also fine arts so she taught us as well the value of having and being creative and having art in your daily life so I was always around it always had a sketchbook or something where I just kind of expressed myself through visuals and I think my mom really promoted that a lot growing up and then but pottery started in college like sophomore year completely different path was getting my graphic design major and my minor in website development and took my first pottery course because you kind of have to have those electives, those certain amount of studio electives. When I took my first course, I was the worst in my class, was the last to center. I like centering your clay, if you know what that is, is pushing on both sides to, to not wobble on the wheel as you're pulling the walls up. So I would just come in after class and just try to do that one step by myself because it was embarrassing being the last one to not achieve that simple first step, which isn't simple, but everyone made it look simple because they all took high school courses and this was my first experience with it so it kind of made me determined to get this whatever it takes i'm not going to be the the one failing in my class (laughs) yeah that's an interesting thing like feeling like when you start you have to catch up to somebody else it is and it is it's It's disheartening, I think, for a lot of people also starting out in pottery to compare themselves to, I think, 
even just, I don't know, eSport pottery or someone like that that's been doing this for forever and they expect to get the results right away and it's just not, it's just so unrealistic. And then you don't recognize that until you you see yourself improving and then you kind of get that inch and a little bit more of confidence to where you're like, okay, maybe I can sell this. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can relate. I remember like back in my youngest days of just like trying to pick up a musical instrument and like having friends who had been playing for a couple of years. And I just remember trying to like learn a couple of chords on the guitar and just thinking, shit, this is hard. Like, how are they so good? And I mean, like they were, they were playing really epic stuff like Green Day and really, well, oh, we consider really simple music now, but <laughs> yeah, you know, like really like next level shit. And, and, but that perspective of like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of glad that it happened because I, I don't know that I would have been as motivated if I wasn't trying to catch up and like be a part of the group be like, okay, I got to get good <laughs> or else I'm going to get left behind. I think that's something that a lot of people deal with, you know, just not wanting to feel left behind by their peers. A lot of people do Very feel left true. behind. Yeah. But then also you find a community in it as well. And then you found a community in it with your friends and probably connected jolly further in your interests and stuff. Hopefully they helped you out and let you join the band. Eventually eventually yeah, I caught up and I got I got more okayer and, you know, by the time I was finishing up high school, like I was getting invited to play with people and do stuff and so yeah you know it was a process you mentioned having like art be a part of your daily life i think about when you first started when we were working together you, you and i for the audience you don't know us as a people who know each other in real life but i met audrey at this marketing agency i the, the image that i have in my head is of this person who is coming to work with these really cool coffee mugs and like books and stuff and it just seemed like this sort of kind of out of place but in a good way like refreshing person to show up and like not just be like super type a like i'm gonna crush it in marketing i'm gonna make all the dollars i'm gonna get my lambo and so i was like okay there's a person that i could talk to and um well, anyway, i don't know why i made I told you feel story. comfortable <laughs> I was a fucking weird chain smoking, reading my book on my lunch breaks. I think I've always just been magnetized by weird people, as you say, weird. I don't think that's weird at all. But that's how I learned you were out a of the normal, though. Um, so weird is out of the normal, though. So weird's not a bad thing. There be you go. weird. They tell Austin to be weird all the damn time. Yeah, and it's like, and now all the all the bros have moved to Austin, so they can go crush it in marketing and, and drive their Lambos. Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> Dream I'll never have Lambo. I always think that's so odd when people want a nice car. Like, are you staying in your car? I don't stay, but like, why? I hate being in my car. I hate driving. Oh my gosh, I haven't gotten so many gray hairs, but from driving to and from work, that's why I'm like ten times happier just not even doing that. I I have probably said fewer f bombs, maybe a hundredfold fewer f bombs over the last year and a half since I've been remote working. You know, driving driving all over Atlanta, it, it definitely put more gray hairs on my head too, and I, yeah. I can't stand it. So the idea of spending like a hundred grand on a car just really makes my mind break. I just can't. I can never. I don't understand the allure of it. I don't understand this like the need for status. I dress like a lumberjack, so I'm not like trying to go out and wear Gucci shoes and whatever. It's just um, it's a weird it's a weird world that the marketing like ethos has created but we're not here to talk about marketing i wanted to dig into where you get your inspiration your style because i know that you're a big outdoorsy person you love hiking and a lot of that comes through in your art can you talk a little bit about like how your inspiration plays into the stuff that comes out of your out of your making for me beginning out starting out in pottery i just tried to draw in 
inspiration from what I knew, what I like to do from what my mom always told me and what I've been taught is that the best artists and writers, they do what they know. So I guess going out into nature and taking those bits and pieces of inspiration through my hikes or travels, because whenever I travel, it's usually going to be to like a national park or something. I mean, those are the most beautiful places. We can't make anything more beautiful than nature. So why not put it on a mug? But recently, it's just been a refining game of how can I make this look better? How can I improve this? How can I get these to look similar and yet have their own personality? So it's been more digging deep recently, digging more deep into what can I do to refine this? Because I have to put my name on this. 100%. I know that there's like different schools of thought in pottery and pottery making. Once upon a time, I took a class on Georgia folklore, and there were these conversations about these different families of pottery makers who use like mules to dig up pottery clay and all this all this strange stuff that just seems like something from Little House on the Prairie. But do you have any sort of like connection to like certain types of materials or like anything that's meaningful to you? Meaningful to me. For me, I always enjoyed pottery for the rawness aspect of it, but I have like a conflicting side of me that also loves contrast. And I guess it's from my graphic design side. I love the poppiness, but I enjoyed pottery for the earthiness and the way it looked and it felt. And so I always kind of wanted to keep a raw bit of clay in all of my designs. None of my mugs are fully covered. If you ever see them, I will fully glaze my bowls because people don't like when the outsides are rough and they're holding their bowl. But I always try to integrate and keep the integrity of the raw clay, even when applying glazes and colors to it. I always want that to show through. Like, I'm not going to just splatter and make it chaotic. And I like simple. And, like, I don't ever want my work to reach beyond a point to where it's chaotic. So I guess integrating and keeping the integrity of the raw clay in all my designs really helped me to kind of think out moving forward what I want to do with my pottery. Because I always know I want that little piece to always be in there for that texture, that feel, that grittiness, that earthiness. So for for listeners, we'll put some images of some of Audrey's pieces here in the show notes, because I think it will help like kind of describe what we're talking about here. I think that the combination of the rawness and the des- the intentional design, that's what I like about your pottery. Like everything that I end up buying for myself, whether it's guitars or musical instruments, furniture, I love something. I love the things that still have like some of their natural essence intact, like things that have wood green or things that look authentic, I guess. Is that a, is that a fair word to use there? I, I, yeah, I would say that's fair. Something that's not made in the factory. We're cheaply yeah. made in the factory. <laughs> exactly. So it's not cheaply made. You can tell that it was made out of real stuff, not just crapped out of a 3D printer somewhere. But yeah, the contrast is really cool too. Like I noticed that like over the past couple of years or so, like you started to do a lot more like color contrast with the glazes and stuff, the finishes. It's really cool to see those bolder colors like the teals. Yes, I love that's my favorite combination is a turquoise and teal and terracotta together, the red clay and the blue. Those big complementary colors that will fight with each other. 
Yes. And depending on when this episode comes out, we'll keep you posted about when Audrey's next uh, restock is on her store. So you can grab one of those because they go fast. I've seen your stuff on Instagram. I was like, oh, she had a a drop yesterday and I'll go and see if there's anything there. And it's like, no, it's all gone. I'm like, good for you. It's so awesome. I know. People people get mad too. One person commented, they were like, I'm done with computers. I'm done with computers after this because again, this is my fourth time trying. I was like, okay. They they unfollowed after that. <laughs> so it's a Aww. it's a good problem I mean, to have. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. It kind of reminds me of like there's there used to be this thing. I'm, I'm sure people still probably do it, but with eBay auctions, like during the, like the last one minute of the eBay auction, people will like use bots to like ping the uh, bid as many times as possible to drive the price up or like to try to get in. I wonder if people have figured out how to do that with Instagram or with, with Shopify and Square with drops. I don't know. You know, I wouldn't Maybe doubt it's it. worth looking into. wouldn't doubt it. I should see if there's like any, how would you even know if there's a bot account, I guess? I don't know if, if there's a way you could track, like if you saw like, like an, an unnatural number of clicks coming from the same IP address, mm. or if you saw like some sort of weird triangulation going on, if it was like using a bunch of weird, like offshore IPs that don't make sense, but not to get too far off the deep end. Can we talk a little bit about how you've made this transition from working in like corporate world, doing graphic design and more technical, like marketing stuff, and then making the switch over into being a full-time potter full-time business owner for yourself how has that transition been for you it was difficult at first because the circumstances weren't under but i guess they weren't they were out of my control yeah the, the circumstances were out of my control so as you know i got laid off from rmi when i was working with you and at that point i scrambled to find another job with benefits in the 401k and all this stuff because i had this mindset i can't do this on my own i can't do this And it wasn't until I got laid off from the job I scrambled to get that I was kind of angry. And anger is not really an emotion. I was just, I think, down on myself. I was fearful for my future again. And also also kind of fed up with the environment and also feeling like I'm disposable. So I was like, no one's going to ever give me or make me happy. And I'm never really going to be happy if I'm continually working for someone else's dreams and not mine. And it's like, when is the day when I'm going to actually take the leap and work for my dream? After the second layoff, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this. We're going to try this. We're going to see how this goes. Here I am over a year later doing it pretty well. I'm working like seven days a week. But would it trade it for five days a week, driving two hours to and from to an office job that I was pretty much miserable at. So it's honestly just recognizing that I want to carry out my dream. That's a really powerful way to put it. And I'm so glad that you said that because I think that you mentioned that you're just over a year into this. And so you've been doing it for a while. And I think that there comes a time, and I know I've hit this, I've hit a wall, a couple of walls really since I started being a business for myself where it's easy to put in 70 or 80 hours a week or a seven day work week. And it's easy to, to get stuck in like the mindset of just work. When the dream is big enough, when my why is big enough, it doesn't feel like a burden. Exactly. So I, I exactly feel it's just like, I also kind of feel like I'm not doing enough. And I mean, I'm working seven days a week at it, but it still doesn't feel like enough. But you got to do what you can, take your breaks when you can. Burnouts are never good for a business either. So 
working towards your dream. Yeah, that's been one of my big, biggest struggles is making time to enjoy life outside of work. I didn't start a business to become, what's the word, like in, in bondage to it in some sort of situation where I'm stuck. So what do you do? Like, how are you, how are you finding that balance for yourself? Are you like structuring your days in an interesting way so that you have like breathing room or is it just kind of like work, work, work all the time right now? My days are usually never consistent. I get up super early because I'm just like a restless person. I'll have my coffee, meditate, get into my day. And then when usually, the like I said before, like the clay will tell me what I need to do today. Or if we're at a point where all my stuff is stocked up, then it's time to basically spend the next few days on the computer, taking pictures, uploading stuff, listing stuff. So every day to day is different because I find that I wear like a lot more hats than I did when this was just a hobby. Now I'm website marketer, developer. I do the listings, the photography. I have to sometimes travel to take pictures of my pottery. And then also I have to be in the studio. That's pretty much like 25% of my job is doing pottery. It feels so now. But it's a good twenty five percent. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 funny. Like I was I was listening to somebody talk not too long ago about this was specific to writing, but just talking about how if your business is writing, your business is only a little bit writing and a lot of bit of other stuff too. And and that's so true. It might seem ten or twenty hours a week of writing isn't a lot, but there's all this other stuff that has to get done in order to keep it to keep moving forward. So yeah, it's like the iceberg thing, the 25%, the 10%, whatever is the part you see, right? It's like the tangible part, but then there's this 75% that's under the surface that's uh, quite time consuming and, and very important. So can relate to that. So what's kind of on the horizon for you? Because it sounds like you have your system set up and you have like a, a production cadence flowing. Do you have any vision for expanding things or are you set to keep it at the size that it's at and at like the, I guess, flow or production rate that it's at? Do you have any aspiration to grow it outside of yourself? We are actually looking to move in the next year to grow our work and home space because me and my partner both obviously work remotely. My studio is behind our townhouse, but it's a closet. So it is not near the space I need it to be to keep up with the demand and the production for my pottery. So next year we will be moving to single family home and hopefully I'll have an outdoor space in which I can build my studio in and get a bigger kiln. And so I do want to up my production when it comes to next year and try to get more out and also maybe start to expand my lines for also I was thinking about doing silicone molds for potters and stuff like that because I use those in my work so I wanted to create those for other potters to use because I do have a big following that is just mainly potters or potters that are just starting out and they just look at my page for inspiration mainly a lot of them do trying to cater to that audience more also instead of just people who just want to buy a mug but also potters that i inspire very cool that's really interesting so let's shift over into what usually is the beginning of the conversation but as a full-time artist a practitioner what do you do to sort of keep yourself creatively fit spiritually to do your art to do your practice what is your ritual well coffee is always a must of course preferably in a handmade mug But I also do at least 10 minutes of meditation every morning just to get my 
mind quiet because every morning when I'm having my coffee, I'm like doing a mental to-do list in my head. And I'm like, okay, okay, stop. Done with coffee. All right, let's meditate. Just be here for like two seconds <laughs> because I do mindful meditation because I'm really not here. I still have shit going in and out in my head, but then it's like also trying to train myself to let it go so I can move on and actually be productive in my day is usually the hardest part. So that helps in the morning. And then whatever I got to do that day, the clay will tell me. I love that. So I think that in the, the first time we talked, we we talked more about the clay and we talked about what that meant. This time around, we haven't gotten a chance for you to say, how does the clay tell you? Because I think that would be a nice way to segue into the next section would be to talk about like the life cycle of a pot. What does the clay tell you? Okay, so when you start off, before you buy a handmade mug, it always starts in a little ball of clay, usually about a pound. That gets thrown on the wheel and then sits on the shelf for, I usually just leave mine on the shelf for a night and I'll get back to it in the morning and then I'll flip them up so their butts are up and then I'll trim them and then I'll pull handles and attach those while those are just sitting after I trim everything. So then those will have to sit at least three days, three to four days out in my outdoor studio, just drying. And so till they get bone dry and they shouldn't be like cold to the touch, really, they should. That's kind of an indication of how you know if it's bone dry, if it's still cold, you leave it. So once it's bone dry, then it goes into its first firing, which is a bisque firing. That bisque firing only gets about like 1800 degrees and then I pulled that out about 24 hours later, and then it gets glazed. And glazing can take me from two days to a week because I do not <laughs> like that part of the process. It's a lot of detail and a lot of painting on of a lot of different glazes because I am a perfectionist who tries to get the effect I want on my pots. So that could take the longest part is the glazing. And then it goes through its last firing. And its last firing is when everything hopefully doesn't come out like crap. And then I can sell those. <laughs> They're done. Yay. Very cool. So we don't know exactly when the next, when the episode will air. So can you tell us a little bit about your shop, your Instagram page, how people can track down some of this really cool, ornate, handmade pottery that you make? Okay, so you can find me at Oddball of Clay on Instagram, and Oddball is spelled A-U-D, and then Ball of Clay. And then Oddball Pottery on Facebook and oddballpottery.com is my website and where you can shop my pots whenever I list them each month. Very cool. Do you have a fixed day every month that you drop, or is it just when the clay tells you they're ready to go? Yes, I do not control the clay. The clay speaks to me. I do not speak to it. <laughs> I can't tell I what it. to do. Sometimes the words. <laughs> I can't tell the words what to do sometimes. They just say we're not ready to come yet. So sometimes it takes longer ah. to write things. <laughs> Different constraint, but real nonetheless. Audrey, thank you no. so much for, for chatting with me today. This was really fun. I'm glad we got to do it. And hopefully next time the drop happens, I can refresh the page fast enough to get another another mug for my collection. Well, yeah. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Ritual. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone that you think would love it. 
Special thanks to our producer, Emily Milling, and her team at The Ultimate Creative, and our amazing business manager, Erica McCauley. I recorded the intro music for this podcast with Spencer Garn at Diamond Street Studios here in Atlanta. Until next time, I'm Daniel Lamb. And just remember, everything that you need to be creative is right here with you, within you, in this moment. Thank you.